Okay, good morning, everyone. So uh, this morning, uh, we are in part five of the hope of immortality. I always think every week this is the last one, but it seems to be the never-ending story. But really, uh, what could be of greater interest to Christians than the resurrection and the hope of immortality? Not everything we're going to say will be an article of faith because there will be some uh, surmising because of not only what the Bible does say, but what it doesn't say. So we will see where it takes us. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. It says here that, uh, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again. So we want to take note here, uh, while you turn to Matthew 27, that Jesus' body did not decay before his resurrection. He did not see corruption. In uh, Matthew 27, let's look at verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. So I propose that more than likely... These coming out of the tombs were newly buried themselves. That these were Christians, it says, saints, who had fallen asleep, who had died then, and uh, were raised. So I propose that these are fairly uh, new deaths that have been raised up. Now, if we look at uh, John chapter 11, and uh, verse 39. John 11:39. Here, of course, we're dealing with Lazarus. And so Jesus said, "Remove the stone." Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. So Lazarus had only been dead four days and was just starting to take on that order of decay, but had not yet decayed himself. So with others that we see about that Jesus resurrected, uh, I believe they were newly dead and their bodies had yet not 
decayed. There is no evidence that any of the bodies had yet decayed that he resurrected. So it's not that God cannot raise a decayed body. That's not the point. If you look in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. Paul says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So what we're seeing here is that it's not the decayed body that is to be raised. In verse 35, you'll notice... He says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of a body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of his own. We talked about this in one of the prior weeks on this subject. But dying and rotting are two different things. So when the body of the seed dies, then the germ of life goes out of it before it rots. So we understand that the the germ of life, life we're talking about, is different from the body. Once we understand this, then the, the whole thing about our bodies rotting or decaying should really be of little interest to us. I mean, what do I care what happens to my old clothes when I'm done wearing them? So there should be no clinging to the flesh. People worry about, should I uh, not be uh, cremated? You know, or what's going to happen to my body? Listen, you're done with it. Don't worry about it. That's not what's going to be raised up. You, the person, will be raised up, but not that old clothing you had on. Only concern uh, that uh, those that believe their bodies are themselves are the only ones that are concerned about this sort of a thing. If you got the idea that your body is you then you would be concerned what happens to it when I die. I got information for you. This body is not you. It's just some clothing you got on. Having eyes to see God and to see my friends, having a face that they might recognize me, and a mouth to sing praises to God is enough. And we will have those things, albeit not in the flesh. Colossians 1.18 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And so this is another reason why I believe he did not raise to life a body that had already decayed. The righteous whose bodies have already decayed and gone before us 
will be raised in new glorified bodies. That's what Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians 15. So everything said of Jesus from the moment of his resurrection to his ascension indicates that Jesus did raise up in the same body. We see that he did not suffer decay. We just read that in Acts 2. And uh, so it was the same body. He ate and he drank and he talked with them as before in the same body. And at first thought, we might think that uh, Jesus' raised body had powers peculiarly spiritual. And so we're going, is this the same body? Look at these peculiar powers that he seemed to have. He would just appear in a room with the disciples after his resurrection and the door was closed. So you say, was it the same body? A second thought, before Jesus died, he walked on water and he did many other signs that did not seem to be so natural in his body. So why would we not believe it's the same person? Just because he did some things like just appear in the room after his resurrection? What about all the miraculous signs and wonders that he did before he died? So what we're saying is... uh, those things that he did after his resurrection do not nullify the fact that it was the same body. Because he did some pretty uh, spiritual, wonderful things before he died as well in that same body. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And since it's obvious that Jesus rose in the same body he died in, When then did he put on the imperishable, the immortal, the spiritual body? Knowing that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. He rose in the same body. Well, when did this change take place? Let's look at Acts chapter 1. A few of these verses you've heard me say more than once. But they're important for our subject to look at them again. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So here is Jesus in his resurrected body, the same body he had before he died, but now he's on his way to heaven. Well, let's look at Psalms 24. In Psalms 24, and we'll start in verse... uh, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So this is on the other side. We see in Acts that Jesus took off up into the sky as they beheld him leaving. And here he is coming up to heaven and they're declaring, here comes the king of glory. Open the gates and let him in. Well, let's see what Daniel says about it. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So we see where the transaction takes place, that Jesus goes from his fleshly body to his spiritual immortal glory from the time he took off from the earth and before he reached the gates of heaven he was changed he was glorified into the glory he had before he first came to the earth now we have three witnesses to this three witnesses of Jesus in his glory after his ascension Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 we have the context of Stephen. You remember Stephen looked up as he was dying and he seen Jesus at the right hand of the Father in his glory. Acts chapter 22. We have a second witness and that is Paul. In Acts 22, we'll, uh, let's pick up in verse 7. It says, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Go up into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Verse 18, And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And he said in verse 21, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the resurrected Christ in his glory, speaking to the Apostle Paul. Paul bears witness to it. Finally, if we turn to Revelation chapter 1, we'll see the testimony of the witness of the apostle john in revelations chapter 1 starting at the 14th verse it says his head and his hair were white like white wool like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like varnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, 
and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Three witnesses who witnessed Jesus in his glory after his ascension. He had been changed. He was no longer flesh and blood. This transformation, our Lord takes part then with all the saints when he was buried and he was raised. And so with those who will still be living when the Lord returns, they will be changed, they will be transformed to glory as they ascend to meet the Lord in the air. So Jesus partook with those who will be buried and raised and with those who will be alive and ascend and meet the Lord in the air. Jesus was the first in all of it. The dead saints will be raised and changed at that same instance. The Lord was raised, but he was not changed at the same instance, at the same moment. For the sake of giving infallible proofs that it was the same person that was dead that was now alive. Jesus could not yet be changed instantly like the saints will be when they are raised up. Because he had to first prove it was him in the same body that had just died three days ago. He had to prove, give that proof first to the world and he did. Now, all of this is well enough understood. All that we've said up to this point. However, there's still some scattered pieces of Scripture here, laying about here a little and there a little, and I find it more difficult to place each one in its proper place to complete the puzzle that we're putting together. But we'll do our best. What is left in the scriptures that we still have to look at is only to fulfill our curiosity. So peering through the window of the mirror of the book, trying to see what goes on from the moments our bodies breathe their last until the trumpet blast. We want to know what goes on. We are curious. You've heard it said on the tombstone that there is the date of one's birth and the date of the death of the body. And in between that dash represents all of life that took place between that. So now we are inquiring and we're asking from the time that our bodies breathe their last until the trumpet blows, we want to know about that dash. What happens between that? So that's what the inquiry is about. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel 28. And uh, we'll start in verse 13. <clears throat> The king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? 
She said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe, and Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? The person seen is not flesh and blood coming up. Different translations, some say, describe him as a divine being. Some as a God, little g. Some as a spirit, little s. But identified, he is identified by his appearance that they knew who it was. It was Samuel, the prophet who had died. And all we learn from this is that he was alive and his peace had been disturbed. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And we'll look at the first two verses. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So here we see the terminology, which is seen a lot in the scriptures, speaking of death has been asleep. And so in the context, there is sleep, and then there is an awakening to everlasting life. So he's told to rest until the end time, and then he would receive his reward at the resurrection. So he's sleeping, rest of the end time, then he will awake, be resurrected, and receive his reward. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So here again, they are told to rest until the final number that is to come in. And uh, rest until that time. So that's the information that we get about the martyrs who had died at this point for Jesus. They were in rest and they were waiting. 
Let's look at Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, and uh, we'll look at verse 22. So this is, of course, the story of rich man and Lazarus. So we don't have time to go through it. But I'm sure you all know it, but you can read it. But in Luke 16, verse 22, it says, Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he has been comforted here and you are in agony. So what do we learn here is that the righteous man was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. We're not given any more information about what that means. But that the other also being buried. And all that we learn now of the one taken to Abraham's bosom is that he is being comforted being comforted and the other is in agony in Luke 23 and uh, verse 43 Jesus said to the one thief on the cross who had asked the Lord to remember him he said truly I say to you Today, you shall be with me in paradise. I wonder if this is the same place that Lazarus went when he went to Abraham's bosom. It's all the information we have. Only that, that's where he's going, a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And it's a place of comfort. It's all the information we have. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll look at the first eight verses. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage... And knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. We have every reason to be of good courage in dying if you're in the Lord. And that's what he's telling us here. Every reason to be of good courage. 
We get no new information, but only that it's enough to know that we should have good courage because we will be at home with the Lord. No information on what that means. We'll be with the Lord at home. Sounds pretty good to me. So we are to be of good courage. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 30. And this is the transfiguration of Jesus. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, uh, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure while he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Like Samuel that we looked at, they appeared as glorious beings, not flesh and blood. In verse 33 says, And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. Now listen, Peter did not live in the time when Moses and Elijah were alive. But their eyes were opened that they recognized who it was. He did not even realize what he was saying, but he spoke the truth of who it was. They were identified. They knew who it was. Did the Lord call them up from their rest for this mission with Jesus? Or were they visions of reality? The reality, if you look in Mark chapter 12, the reality being that they are alive. Mark 12, verse 26. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So here we say that, did God call them up for this special mission to appear with Jesus? Or were they simply visions of the reality that they are alive? Either way works. They are alive, and they were recognized for who they were. However, we know that they had not yet resurrected. Because we remember what we've seen in Colossians 1.18, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, never to die again. You see, Moses and Elijah were not yet resurrected. Jesus would be the firstborn. But they had died, and they were alive. This much we know. Also, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 40, we see this. 
Let's, let's do verse 39 to get the context. It says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So it sounds like everyone experiences the resurrection at the summation of all things together. They without us would not be made perfect. In the summation of all things, everyone from all ages and all time will be resurrected together. In Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we'll look at uh, 20 and 21. Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. This is in harmony with what we've seen Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, where the principle of life may stay dormant for thousands of years and then made to germinate by the exertion of Christ's power and bring forth its life once again. The Lord has given us clues in nature. He's always speaking to us in nature about the gospel. We see the hibernation scene in the animal and the insect and the plant kingdoms. The death of winter and then the return of life in the spring. We see it everywhere. The gospel has been preached to us. What's going to happen? So, it does sound to me, looking at the closing verses we're going to look at here, that there will be a sleep, much like when you go under anesthesia. And anyone who's been through that process, I have, they say, now, I want you to breathe through this, and I want you to count to ten. So you get to about three, and then all of a sudden you're awake, and you're going, what, you're not going to do it? And they go, it's done. What? I was just counting the ten, and now I'm awake again. You see, that's what it's going to be like, I do believe. So, much like the sleep of anesthesia and all forms of all ages and times will arise together at the sound of the trumpet and meet the righteous who are still alive with the Lord in the air. That's what I think is going to happen. And when you lay down and you die, and next thing you know, that trumpet's blowing, and it's going to seem like you were just got to three when you were counting to ten, like you didn't miss a thing. And it might be thousands of years. 
You know nothing, you feel nothing. You miss nothing. Let's look at these closing verses. Isaiah 26. Verse 19. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Psalm 17. Verse 15. As for me... I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Job 14. Job 14, starting in verse 7. For there is hope for a tree when it is cut down that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground, and it, its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish, and put forth sprigs like a plant. But man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise. Until the heavens are no longer. He will not awake nor be aroused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Shiloh. That you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you. That you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. John chapter 5. Big John, as Steve says, chapter 5, verse 28. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. 1 John, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Finally, in closing, 1 Corinthians 15 again. First Corinthians 15, and uh, we'll start in verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This seems to me to be the sum of the matter. After much searching, I could not find much in the dash between death and the last trumpet. I see no evidence of a spirit of man being reunited with a body before the general resurrection of us all. The righteous in a place of comfort called paradise, not heaven. And the unrighteous in a place of torment, waiting for judgment. This is the conclusion I have come to after much study of this subject. So I hope you find it edifying and comforting. Thank you.